0: we don't have enough time in silence like as a society we don't have enough quiet time
1: welcome to the one you feed throughout time great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have quotes like garbage in garbage out or you are what you think ring true and yet for many of us our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Taylor Hunt, a devoted student and teacher of Ashtanga Yoga. In 2012, Taylor founded the Morning Mysore program in Columbus, Ohio, to provide a community where students can learn Ashtanga Yoga as it's traditionally taught. Taylor completes his practice during the early morning hours before teaching classes at Ashtanga Yoga Columbus, or AYC. The community at AYC is built around a group of dedicated students who are improving their physical, mental, and spiritual health. His book is called A Way From Darkness. Here's the interview.
2: Hi, Taylor. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me, Eric. I'm excited to have you on a couple reasons. One is we're getting to talk in person, which I always love. Um, And secondly... Your book is a little bit like looking into a mirror for me. You know, your book is about your recovery from addiction. Uh, You did that here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, You know, we met each other in. In the, you know, in the recovery room. So reading your book, a lot of it, I'm like, well, that sounds like me, and that sounds like me, and that sounds like me. So I'm really excited to get into the book, and we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. But let's start like we usually do with the parable. Sure. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love, and the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second. He looks up at his grandfather and he says, well, grandfather, which one wins? So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do.
0: Wow. Um, Well, first, I'm honored to be on the show. So (laughs) thanks for having me here. Um, I'm I'm grateful that this all came together. As the parable, um, for me, I I feel like my life is that parable. Um, You know, for the longest time, like I lived in a place of, I, I mean, you could call it the gutter. Mm-hmm. Um, literally like sticking a needle in my arms nonstop. Um, I, I didn't like myself. I mean, the the bad wolf was winning.
2: Yeah. And he was a bad, bad wolf. He was a really bad wolf.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, a couple of times um, as, as a result of feeding the bad wolf, I mean, um, it almost took my life a few times. And, um, you know, so I feel like the parable is, is kind of my life. You know, like right now I'm currently feeding the good wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and living, you know, living in the, the, the principles of what the good wolf has. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I, I've heard that parable before and, and it, it definitely speaks to me just it, especially where I'm at right now too.
2: I couldn't tell you exactly when, but I'm sure I heard it in recovery and it's, I think it's one of those that, you know, in recovery is, I think everybody hears it and relates with it, but I think if you've battled addiction to the extent that, that you have, or I have, there's a, there's a particular poignancy to it about like, Whoa, this is really very serious. Also like at, and you know this obviously, but like at a certain point
0: you're feeding the bad wolf so much that you don't even know that there's another wolf. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just takes over the whole, takes over the whole equation, takes over your whole life. Um, and there, it's almost an impossible way to, to get out. I mean, that's why there's so much
2: hopelessness when it comes to addiction and getting into recovery. It is very hard. Your book is called away from darkness, my story of addiction, recovery, and yoga. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on the first part of that, the addiction part. You certainly in the book go into a great deal of detail. It's a really powerful story. For listeners, it would suffice to say you pretty much went about as low as you want to go, right? You don't you don't I want to go any lower. Yeah, That's no, for sure. I mean, there's not much left after that. I think certainly I can relate with that. Like I said, so much of that story, I was like, yep, yep, yep. You know, like I've been there. You know, if you're doing a drug like heroin in a city like Columbus, you're going to come across the same sort of places the same sort of things um, the same sort of desperation you know the overdoses just the whole mess of it Um, and so what I think is particularly interesting and what I want to focus on is the second two parts of your subtitle which is really the recovery and the yoga part one of the things that you talk about in the book at one point I thought this was a really interesting thing because it's something that Um, I think about a lot and I think everybody thinks about a lot, but we don't talk much about in 12 step recovery. And what what you said was I had to figure out how much involvement in the program is needed for you to stay sober. And I think that's a, I think we all need different amounts of the program. And I think we all need different amounts at different points in our recovery. I think it's interesting though, that we don't talk about that very much. It tends to be very much a, you should just go all the time and that should be everything. All or nothing. And, and, uh, and clearly you've chosen a different route. And what I'm interested in, because I've chosen a different route a little bit too, where the amount that I go to meetings varies. What I'm interested in is what do you think you're getting from those other parts of your life that allow you to maybe not have to go to meetings as often? Because I don't think recovery only happens in a
0: meeting, right? It definitely just doesn't happen in meetings. I mean, and honestly, like in the, in the meetings uh, or the rooms, um, there's this saying that meeting makers make it. And I Like, I know that's not always true. Right. Um, You know, like living the program, living the steps... Um, and honestly, taking like a, a true inventory of of who you are on a consistent basis and like not telling ourselves a lie. I mean, because alcoholism and drug addiction is a disease of denial. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm how I came up with the equation that I, I came up with is, you know, based on like really my yoga experience. You mm-hmm. know, um, I, I got a true picture in the mirror every single day that I made it to my mat and I started realizing that I, I was able to apply these these steps and I was able to like show up and do my meditation um, every morning and it and it kind of translated right into um me taking care of myself the way that I needed to.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, I look at it, you know, the recovery literature talks about the importance of a spiritual connection, spiritual condition. Um, And I think we all have different perceptions of what that looks like. You know, certainly for me, I'm probably more agnostic than anything else. So for me, though, I, I still think that the heart of it is that it's the spiritual connection. And I think you could almost go the word spiritual is so nebulous yeah. that I think you could almost just go to connection. And so for me, the amount that I need to be in the program, I think has a lot to do with how connected I am to my life, to myself, to the people around me, to the spiritual practices I do. And when I've got that connection, I feel all right. And I'm, I'm okay. A lot of meetings are not a lot of meetings. And if I don't have that, then meetings become imperative because I'm in really rocky Rocky ground.
0: Sure, I mean, I feel the exact same way. Actually, um, that connection. I, I mean, I find it in my yoga practice. Yeah, you know, so showing up on a daily basis and and finding that connection and really tuning into what's going on with me, um, because I never really paid attention to anything that was going on. And then all of a sudden, like you know, you come into the rooms and you start like working the steps or living the steps, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, like there's something going on with me. Like, why am I acting angry? Um, where. You know, all of a sudden, like um,
2: I, I was paying attention to it, yeah, um, and and understanding it too. So, yep. And so, your journey has been, you know, came into AA, got sober, and then I don't know if I was supposed to say AA there, but I did. <laughs> traditions, traditions. Yeah. Um, anyway, you came into recovery, you got sober, and then yoga became a huge part of your life. So you are a yoga teacher at this point, a a yoga teacher in a long lineage. You've been to India several times. You've got your own yoga studio. You've got a great community built here. And I'm interested in yoga is on one hand a set of poses. It's a physical practice. Yet I know there's so much more to it. And I hear people like you say, you know, on my mat I discovered X, Y, and Z walk me through that a little bit. What does that how does that happen? And, and what's that correlation? Because I'll say for me, you know, I've practiced it semi regularly, but not probably in a a lot of the right settings and different things. But for me, it feels very much like a physical pose thing. And so I'm kind of curious how you open to that next level of it, what that process is like.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the process always starts very physical. I mean, I think people show up as a result of like wanting like some sort of physical exercise. I mean, that 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 is part of the okay. equation. And the reason why we do like the postures is because of that tangible quality of like what that aspect of yoga gives you. Um you can you can kind of feel it in uh-huh. your body. But, I mean, deep down, I mean, it, it's a set of moral principles um, similar to, like, you know, the recovery rooms, yep. you know, treating people nonviolent, being truthful and, you know, down the line, cleanliness, the, those kind of things. And so, um, I mean, the transformation or, or how to get the other aspects out of yoga um, comes from a daily commitment, like showing up on your mat. And, you know, it's very physical. And then all of a sudden, like, you start understanding that your mat is a laboratory, for a continuous experiment over and over and over. And you get true reflections of who you are. And so, you know, some days, uh, because of my lack of awareness about myself, some days I would show up and like not actually know that I was angry, like I was just talking about. But nowadays, like I, I, I can pinpoint what's actually happening in, in my body and, um, and I can pinpoint what's happening in my head. And now I have like a really good look at myself and that's not to mention like all of the lessons that are actually learned on my mat too, from like certain times where you could say like I didn't believe in myself or I thought it was like a you know a piece of crap or mm-hmm. something like that because of my addiction. And what I realized is that um, through the practice, like doing the same thing over and over, like a ritual, um, what I've found is is that I, as I get better at it, um, also self esteem gets better as a result of it. And so there's things like when I walk in, like you you can't actually do, you know, like it, you yes. really, even <laughs> forward folding, it's like, yeah, you, you can't, can't, yeah, I mean,
2: can't touch your toes. I couldn't Not touch my happen. toes. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, so if you read the book, I mean, I couldn't touch my yeah. toes on the first day. Yeah. But then you get to a point where um, you you start to actually see like big strides, like you're taking big leaps, like continent to continent um, of these huge, like mind-blowing, like oh yeah, wait a second. It, it wasn't that I couldn't do it. It was just that I needed more time on it, and that I didn't actually believe in myself that I could do it. Um, because mind, uh, like state of mind or or intention, maybe mm-hmm. too, um, is super important when it comes to yoga. Like, right. um, so if I nowadays, like if I think I can't do it, I can't. Yeah. But you know, if I can go to a place of Um, I can, or I can go to a place of like, this is instead of an if it's a, it's a win. Yeah. And and that all of a sudden translates into,
2: um, you know, self-empowerment, knowing myself. That's that, you know, we talk on the show, we had Carol Dweck on who talked about the fixed versus the growth mindset. You know, fixed mindset is I can't touch my toes. I'm not a flexible person. I'll never be able to touch my toes. The growth mindset is if I keep working at this, I know I can get better at it. Yeah. You know, I want to read a section from your book that I thought talked about this very much. And you kind of, it hits this part and I thought it was well written. You say, yoga is the process of deconstructing all of the bullshit that's in our heads. It pulled me out of the belief that I wasn't good enough and wasn't a good person. The false stories are not the same for everyone. I'm too fat. I'm not smart enough. No one could possibly love me. They aren't all negative either. Sometimes they're grandiose. I'm so much better than these people. Everyone is jealous of me. My ideas are the best. Yoga helps us to eliminate those thoughts and get in touch with our deeper selves. Yeah, it's simplification. I mean, it's like simplifying your life. Yeah. And so part of it, you say, sounds like you are pushing up against your limits, so you're out there on the mat, you're pushing up against your limits, you're pushing through things that are difficult, you're you're gaining confidence by doing that. And then it sounds like there is something deeper that also happens. I'm, you know, a lot of people talk about emotions being stored in the body. Do you find that to be part of what the yoga practice brings and helps you with
0: yeah i I mean for sure Uh, you know every time that you experience um happiness or depression or um you know any range of emotions um it's a chemical reaction in the body Mm -hmm. and so if it's not eliminated um or if it's not dealt with and then discarded um, it gets stored in our tissues and so um, on the yoga mat, because we're kind of like twisting and heating the body mm-hmm. and uh, moving and all of this stuff, like, yeah, it has a tendency to bring latent emotions in our, in our body that are, that are stored up there. And it's a way to process them, too. I, I don't know, I'll always know what they're about, um, but sometimes I do. Yeah, Like sometimes it's childhood stuff or sometimes it's, um, you know, it's just sometimes it's deep down that I just don't like myself. Um, or I struggle with um, you know the, the concept of, of actual love um, for myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that shows up on the map for sure.
3: Diets and weight loss struggles, it's time to say goodbye to frustration
2: Why don't you tell people about the style of yoga that you teach? Because it's very different than what most of us have been exposed to. Most people, when we think of yoga, we go to a class and an instructor leads us through a series of poses, and we just go along with whatever that is and 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 do that. What you do is very different. Yeah, I mean, this is how they
0: teach in India. Yeah. Um, that I mean, it was it was given to me by a guru. His name is Sharat Joyce. Um, he's one of the foremost yoga people in the world. Um, he's my teacher. Um, he's, um, he's more or less showed me the ropes. Yeah. So the style that I teach is called Ashtanga yoga. Mm-hmm. and the yoga is actually passed on from teacher to student, teacher mm-hmm. to student. And um, how we teach, we more or less like prescribe it instead of just hurting people along in, in like a regular yoga class like mm-hmm. you would experience at you know the gym or whatever. And so, um, and what happens is, is like most people feel like um, yoga is a little bit unattainable, um, or at least the poses are a little bit unattainable when they go to the gym class because the teacher's not necessarily giving them one-on-one feedback. Right. But in our classes, like with the thing that we do, is is all of the feedback goes specifically to you. Yeah. Um, so we're not telling everyone in the room, we're just telling you, right. which people can get really good at, at doing yoga practices really fast, um, just based on just getting that feedback. I mean, because I think everyone's kind of like looking to do it safe, yeah. looking to do it very deliberate. And and then also like create independence, where um, our style is typically um, we create independence because we're not actually guiding you along all the way. Right, It's one-on-one. Um, teacher
2: and student are trying to figure out like what your yoga practice is supposed to look like yeah so what's happening is you walk into your studio and there's 15 people practicing yoga and they're all working on the same series right but they're all doing it at their own pace so what you see is this person's you know doing these poses and working through it another person so everybody's going at their own pace what i found really most interesting about that to me was breath is such an important part what i find hard in instructor-led classes is the breath piece because i'm going at the pace they have not necessarily the pace that my breath wants to go with or that i want to be with and and in what you do i feel like it's a lot easier for me to really connect with the breath and do the poses in the way they're supposed to be done because i can go at my own pace that made a big difference for me in doing that it was a big thing i noticed was that I was able to get much closer to that ideal. In that case, I think it's the safer
0: way too. Yeah, um, you know, uh, to go at your own pace. Um, I, I think that it it becomes a really you, you can get really sturdy at it um, mm-hmm. instead of it being like it's overwhelming you on a on yeah. a daily basis. Uh, because sometimes they feel like fitness classes, right? Yoga and and really the yoga that I teach is actually more of like a spiritual connection with yourself. Yeah, um, that we're teaching and. And it just happens to be like, um,
2: you know, how we're doing it on our yoga mat. So, yep. And how do you work with students on is there instruction you give them on discovering that deeper spiritual path, or does it come by being attentive and being focused on the poses? How, how do you teach that? It first starts by observing what the person is dealing with,
0: um, and, and from a bird's eye view in the room you can pretty much get a handle on, like, what the person is actually going through, Um, whether it's psychological or whether it's actual physical pain or whether it's, like, an emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so so getting them to that deeper aspect starts at observation. Mm -hmm. That's first. Um, But then to to get them to maybe find the deeper aspects of yoga, for example, if I'm going to teach them how to do a posture, if the first place that they go to is that they're going to beat themselves up over not doing it perfect, um, there's a certain strategy to teach that kind of person. Yep. And then there's also a certain strategy to teach like a perfectionist or someone who's lazy as well, mm-hmm. um, where some people need almost like an olive branch um, mm-hmm. when you're teaching them, almost like a, a peaceful method or mm-hmm. encouraging method where other, other people might need um, like the tip of a bayonet you know, where you're kind of putting, putting pressure. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, from that bird's eye view of being the teacher in the room, you can kind of see what strategy might help them the most, because I truly believe at the end of the day, if we can get them focused on their mat for an hour or 30 minutes or however long they're, they're in there, that connection with the breath and, and really taking a look inside can translate into their lives. I mean, it translates as as empowerment. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what it has done for me um, by having that connection on a daily basis, because we don't have enough time in silence. Like as a society, we don't have enough time and, um, we don't have enough quiet time.
2: Yep. That's the other thing that's really nice about the type of yoga that you teach is it's very quiet in there. There's not anybody barking out, like do this, do that. It's just a very quiet, you know, it's, it's peaceful in a way that, Other yoga classes, and I'm not saying that other yoga, I'm I'm not making, I'm just talking about my own experience of what it was like. My experience is it was more quiet. I was more able to be inwardly focused, again, because I think it's quiet in the room and I'm not following a particular fast sequence. And I kind of know what I'm doing. You teach a couple poses and you work on those and you learn a couple more, then you learn a couple more. And slowly your practice grows and grows and grows versus a wide variety of different poses and i think everybody would would like their own thing but i really i really find it to be um more meditative for sure yeah there's
0: definitely an internal quality to what is happening where like when they're barking orders or they're yelling at people or um and there's times where i do that too um but i never play music that that is one thing um but there is a there's a certain quality that um it's internal the whole practice and yeah. and then you know because everything that happens external if they put music on or or you know they enjoy having music whether yoga it's an external you know it, it There's word association that goes along with that. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, someone says something on the song and then all of a sudden, like, you go on the last time you heard it and,
2: you know, you're down the rabbit hole. I think it's easier to not compare because not everybody in the room is doing the same pose at the same time. Sure. Right. Because when you're all doing the same pose, it's very easy to be looking around going, well okay, I'm the worst here. (laughs) You know, I clearly am the one that cannot, you know, whereas with what you're doing, everybody's kind of in their own place. I mean, it's not that you don't notice some people and you're like, that person's really good, but it's just a less direct, you know, again, it helps to point towards the internal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean,
0: it is, uh, it's like almost a less competitive environment, um, where, where it's really for, for you. But I mean, the one thing that I always point out too is that um, in our room, like we never give the cue, like look to your neighbor. And I feel like in other yoga styles, um, w- one of the best things about our yoga styles, like we don't actually want to want you to look at your neighbor's
2: mat. We don't want you to judge your insides with their outsides. And I'm sure you've heard that before. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a great uh, phrase. There's a touching part in your book. So you you go along, you get very interested in yoga, and you get this desire that you want to go to India, and yet you've got a job. You've got a kid, you've got all these responsibilities, and your, your job is with your your father. So it's looking sort of, impo- you know, it's the sort of thing that we all do. Like, yeah, I'd love to do that, but there's no way, right? And yet you kind of just, you kind of just kept working. And what I thought was, there were a couple of things out of that lesson I thought was really important. One was when you went and asked the people in your life and told them what was important to you, they were a lot more willing to work with you than you thought. And so, a I think that's an important lesson. And the, the the touching part is when you go to your father. Do you want to tell me what happened when you went to your father with this? Yeah, I mean that's like one of the best stories in the book. I
0: mean, it actually yeah. gives me chills. I just got chills. Um, you know, so my dad is like kind of like a you know a, a little bit of an uptight businessman. You yeah. know, he's kind of um, shrewd in certain ways yeah. of, of business. And and I remember I got back from this trip um, to visiting um, Shroud Joyce, the guy who I told you about just a little bit earlier. That's my teacher now, and I, I visited him, and and I came back, and I was like, I, you know, I, I sit down with my dad, and I, I was nervous, right, too. Like, and, I mean, I was sweating bullets. Dad's not the kind of guy who's in for yoga trips to India, right? Yeah. That's not in his world well, view. I mean, and especially because, like, I was almost doing a living amends, yeah, to him by working, yeah, um, at, at his. You want to be, you want to be good at what you do and hold your responsibilities, to... and exactly. Um, and so I am sitting down with him and I'm like sweating bullets and I'm like hey you know this is like really nerve uh, you know like I'm I'm really nervous and and I said dad you know like I went and visited this guy and and in, in New York and I'm thinking about going to Mysore India and I you know kind of need your blessing and and I'm thinking for sure he's going to say no um and and at least the story in my head said that my dad wasn't supportive of this journey right. um it I mean that was the bullshit story in my head really yeah. And so um, he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, if you don't go, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, that's just not how my dad shows up. But then he went on to, you know, talk about like how he's kind of watched me get sober and he's yeah. watched me take interest in yoga. And and um, it was the time where it, it was like the universe, if you want to call it that, um, conspired to, to really you know, put an angel in front of me where it's like, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing and keep
2: asking um, and you'll keep receiving. Yeah, And, And that's what I did. Yeah. Like I said, I thought that there were the two parts of that. One was the, I think we all sell ourselves short with what we can do in life because we put limitations in place that aren't necessarily there. Or if they are there, there's ways around them if we're courageous and persistent. And so the story really showed that. And you know, your dad saying that just is so, you know, yeah, it's like that moment of like, you just see parental love, like really come through in a genuine way. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. It was pivotal in my life
0: because, um, I was kind of unsure where my dad actually stood with everything that I was doing and, and it it felt like he had my back and it, and it, it kind of Renewed our whole relationship.
2: Yep. Um, as a result of because he yep. supported every trip right. since then. Yeah. Too. Yeah. He didn't think you were a wacko for no. wanting to go to India no. and, do yoga. and
0: and I thought he was actually going to do all, I say and do all of that yeah, stuff exactly. Yep. And yep. it showed up much different. Yep. Um, it showed up his love.
2: You have a saying that has gone with your yoga community since you started as, you know, in part of another studio, you, you built this, this community, and then you've gone out on your own, and uh, it's bring your ass to class. Tell me why that's so important for what you guys do.
0: Because it, it only works if you show up. You know, it, it started based on, um, I was in a class one time, Eric, and, and someone said to me, um, I hope you come back. And um, I was in like customer service and I was in sales and, and, I, and I literally thought in my head as he said, I hope you come back. I was like, it would have been better for you to tell me to come back than to hope that I was going to come back. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that was the line of thought that went through my head. And I was like, from now on, like, say what you mean. And so when I was teaching, I wanted these people to come back because, I mean, I was seeing all of this growth. I mean, I was seeing like huge amounts of growth in my personal and, um, you know, my business career and all, all of that stuff uh, or yoga career. And um, I was seeing all this growth and I, I wanted other people to have it, too. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it only works. And, and really the commitment to showing up on a daily basis or maybe it's every other day or whatever um, is the hardest part. It's like planning the plan and not the results. It's like the plan is is that I am going to bring my ass to class and show up at the top of my mat. Um, But after that, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. I am not trying to put on a performance. I am not here for someone else. I am actually here for myself, and that and that like kind of goes along with all of that saying. I mean, that's what we that's what we preach. Like, how do you get committed to something? um and how do you get discipline because i mean as a whole we're n- we're not disciplined no.
2: and today i'm very disciplined and you say in the book and this is something when i'm talking with people about meditation i say something very similar you say you know it's not a good practice or a bad practice if you did it you succeeded you succeeded you know and i think that's so important with some of this stuff is people get can get really hung up on you know did i do good did i do bad was it a good day a bad day and i think that My experience is if you're going to do some sort of transformative practice, if you just keep doing it, transformation happens. It's hard to watch day to day. You don't see it day to day. Um, But if there's this constant, this was good, that was bad judgment, it makes it harder to keep doing it day to day. And thus, then you don't see the transformation because you don't keep doing it. Right. You know, and I just think that's such a big like, you know, I always am like if I sat there for the amount of time I said I was going to sit there. That's a good meditation. It yep. doesn't matter if, if I'm thinking about cookies the whole time instead of thinking about meditation. I still was there.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, I've learned from my studies of like the yoga sutras uh, is that there's really two qualities to, to find yoga um, or two qualities of like a practitioner that you need. And the first one is a consistent practice over a long period of time and then also um, non-attachment. Yeah. And so it goes along with everything that yeah. I just said there practice, but practice without the attachment of like, it's good or it's yeah. bad or, or any of those things. Yeah.
2: Let's go back to discipline. That's usually a word that is not uh, a fan favorite, so to speak. Sure. Right? A lot of us have a negative, you know, the word certainly has a sort of negative connotation, at least for a lot of people. Talk about why it's been so important to you and how you built that discipline, because it's a long way from being a heroin addict who can't stop shoving needles in his arms, to a guy who will get up at 3am every morning to get his yoga practice in before he has to go teach other people. That's pretty remarkable. So I mean, obviously, you're not gonna be able to summarize in two minutes how you made that transformation. But let's talk about why discipline is important and some thoughts you have about the path to it.
0: I was so undisciplined that it was it was hard to it was hard to do anything as a result of being so undisciplined. And so uh, what I started doing is like, um, you know, setting setting goals for myself. And I and I started like um, once I started achieving the goals, I I actually started like um, setting more goals. And so um, it became like almost achievement based um, mm-hmm. in the beginning. And I, what it's done for me is is that it's given me like a framework. Um, where I can operate from. And I I operate really well. I mean, I'm a habit person. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, disease of alcoholism and drug addiction, I mean, sets you up for a habit person. But the only discipline that I had when I was using was, um, I was disciplined to like call the drug dealer.
2: Right. Or do whatever Uh, it takes. Or do whatever it takes, yeah.
0: And so um, I I certainly had that quality of like, do whatever it takes in order to um, make it to yoga class or or do a posture or any of that stuff. But the discipline specifically... um, in, in my practice today is is more like um, a spiritual framework and so I'm able to show up at the top of my mat and dedicate my practice to really the students that are going to show up after I get done yeah and um, and it it's also um, it holds me accountable to to a certain thing um, other people which yeah. I, I think is important and so as I'm as I'm practicing like I'm I'm actually doing the whole practice um, for another set of set of people, mm-hmm. which I, I think like deep down the spiritual discipline of like um, doing it for other people is is important.
2: You say in the book that you did a lot of searching into different spiritual traditions as you came into recovery, you know, there's a spiritual aspect of recovery. You started looking into a lot of things. And in the book, you say you learned that interacting with others in a loving way is a common thread through all spiritual traditions.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I found that through my yoga practice really, you know, on a daily basis when I was, working hard in there um, you know my heart was like encased in stone Yeah, you know and so like as I did this spiritual discipline every single day like showing up and and uh, doing my morning prayers yep. um, which is what I like to call my my yoga practice mm-hmm. actually it's like doing my morning prayers and I was able to uncase my heart and, mm-hmm. and really like start to treat people um, with respect and uh, start to treat institutions with respect and gain some self-awareness about how i treat myself as well too
2: so i want to read another part from your book that i really liked you say i've learned not to listen to the stories in my head 99 percent of the time i no longer believe that thoughts compromise my identity that was a huge discovery for me and it may be the most important lesson i have to offer others about yoga there is danger in identifying ourselves with our thoughts because it limits us our thoughts are not our reality Our actions form our reality. And for me, yoga helps separate the bullshit stories I tell myself from what I am really supposed to do in the world. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's... uh, I'm going to have to mark the E on explicit for this, for this episode now (laughs) that we got our second bullshit in here, but we're good. That's maybe the cornerstone of my teaching right there, is
0: that um, I no longer identify with the stories that I tell myself. They're still there. I Mm -hmm. mean, they're still there. And um, every once in a while, I mean, I'm not perfect, I'm not a saint, right. I, I get pulled back into, um, you know, that line of thinking from time to time, but it doesn't take long these days to, to step outside of it. Um, it's a day instead of like months later, <laughs> where all of a sudden you got a bunch of resentments or, right. you know, whatever yep. comes up. But um, for the most part, I mean, that's what I do have to offer people. It's like that there's no, the, the story, there, there's been a separation from, the story in my head or from like the condition pattern of living Mm -hmm. to what I'm actually capable of like actions wise. Um, and those are really two totally different things. And also by doing, um, certain actions over and over,
2: um, I I feel better about myself and the stories actually change. Yeah. It's that old, uh, Sometimes you can't think your way into right action. You got to act your way into right yeah, thinking. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean,
0: that's that that is another thing I feel yeah. like um, a place that I teach from for sure. Yeah, that whole point in time when I was like writing that part of the book, it was um, all of these like kind of lessons like started coming up, and and Sharon, I'm like like this is, has been pretty cool because you start realizing that 99% of us, um, oh. e- even normal people, have the same Every, exact thing. Yes, we yeah. all
2: have that internal, na- you know, we talk about it on here all the time, we all have that internal narrator. Yeah. And the amount of distance you can be put between that internal narrator and yourself is a pretty good uh, guide to sa- sanity and, and, and health and peace of mind, right? If you can stop at least believing... The stories, you know, because ma- we're making it all up. Yeah, I'm not as bad as I say I am, and I'm also not as
0: good as I say I am. <laughs> right. yeah, it's like exactly. Constantly, yep. and, I'm like e- telling myself, exactly. um, "Yep." And by practicing, you know, I've there's been like a separation from the, the two. Mm-hmm. Where nowadays, like the stories in my head, I, I get to watch like movies that I don't actually get involved in anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. And I get to know what, whether it's bullshit or whether it's real or any of that stuff. So, yep. One of the things that I find inspiring about what you've done is that you have gone from somebody who has a regular full-time job and has kids and has responsibilities to somebody who's been able to kind of pursue their dreams. What I think is really interesting, though, about it is the way that you did it because you didn't do it. By suddenly deciding it was time to follow your passion and throw everything else to the wind. It wasn't a, I've got to do my thing. You had responsibilities and you built this community and this practice while you kept your other job, while you paid the bills, while you took care of the kids. And I think that's such an important lesson because I think that it's very easy to get stuck in, well, if I can't do it full time, if I still have to do a job, then I can't do it. And so many people, we don't get started because we think that's in our way, and I just love to see people who make that transformation slowly over time. Yeah, that um, I mean, it took a lot of time actually. Yeah, it's. I it's, mean,
0: it took six years of you know nonstop yeah. um, working with my dad, and and then uh, realizing that I I found found what my, my calling or my mm-hmm. dharma or my path or whatever. And so then I kind of almost systematically um, laid the found foundation in order for me to um, to transfer my life over to it. I mean, I travel around the country. I'm able to provide for my family now just based off of yoga, which is, um, which is really cool. You know, I, I I don't actually work anymore. Um, I, I just live, I just live my passion. I, um, I get to travel to India. I get to spend time with my kids. I watch my son every, um, every um, afternoon and, I watch my daughter when she gets home from school, and and I think that's uh, what people want to actually want to be doing with their time. Yeah, and I get to do it, and so like in the in the short term, like I put in a huge amount of investment. Like we could sure. call it like human investment, you know, like a or time investment. I, I was working 60 hours at my dad's job and then doing 20 hours of, of yoga. And, yep. and then I, that's why I started practicing really early in the morning right. too, um, because it's the only time I could fit it in. And I, and I was getting so much benefits from, from practicing that I was like, oh, I can't, I mean, I can't not practice. Right. I mean, that would, that, that'd be crazy. So right. then I started practicing at 3am right. and people thought I was crazy for that too. But yep um, I couldn't, I couldn't back away from it. So I was, I was doing, and then I, you know, was teaching, you know, 20 hours a week too. And so, um, for, for a short time there, I was, I was kind of going crazy because it was so much work. Yeah.
2: I'm familiar. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm in the midst of that transition, you know, as we speak now. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to, to have a full time, you know, or a, a beyond full time job depending or, you know, consulting work and then, you know, do something. But what I like about it is it takes the excuses away, right? It's not easy and it's really hard, but it, it at least allows us to take a real look at like, okay, if I want to do this, there's a path. You know, the path is long. It's going to take a lot of work. I'm going to watch a lot less TV. I might spend less time with my friends. I'm I'm, I'm going to give things up. I'm going to make sacrifices, but I can do it. If that's what's important to me. And that's what I find inspiring about it. I literally looked at my life and I was like, I I want something different. I'm going to systematically
0: like work towards a specific goal. And, and one of the things that helped me the most is, is really the community that, that started to surround me too. Yeah. Um, so as, as the, I started attracting people that were like me, um, that I could identify. And we talked about connection and, um, I found that connection and, and then all of a sudden like it, the fire became even more, It's like, oh yeah, there are people like me that are searching for a better way to live and, you know, and, and they were all working hard and they were all passionate about what they were doing. I mean, some of them were living their dreams too. And so um, being witness to that was pretty, pretty awesome too.
2: It's really inspiring. And I'm really, you know, congratulate you on your success. I Thank mean, you. I remember seeing you come into recovery right? and, <laughs> you know, again, it's a, the transformation is stunning to yeah. sit here and kind of look at you now and, and think about, you know, back then. So Thank congratulations. You. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm really glad to have gotten to do this, and uh, best of luck. Thanks, Eric. Take care.
1: You can learn more about Taylor Hunt and this podcast at oneufeed.net slash Taylor.